Welcome back to the IPS RSIS Forum on Race and Racism in Singapore. We will now proceed to our panel discussion. To our online audience, please submit your questions via the Zoom Q&A panel that appears at the bottom of your screen. The moderator of this panel is Professor Pauline Strawn from the Singapore Management University. On our panel, we have Dr. Almi Nekmat, Associate Professor from the Department of Communications and New Media at NUS, Dr. Daniel Goh, Associate Professor of Sociology at NUS, Dr. Lavanya Katiravelu, Assistant Professor from the School of Social Sciences at NTU, and Mr. Goh Sintek, Editor at Lianhe Zaobao. Prof Strong, over to you. Thank you very much, Mike. And it's a pleasure to be here amongst the experts. I'm looking forward to learning from all of you. Um, a lot to digest from Minister's speech. So what I'm going to do is invite my esteemed panelists to provide their take on this, and then we can enter a robust discussion with you, the audience. We'll start with Elmi. Elmi is a CNM expert. Thanks, so Pauline. clearly, the role of uh, social media and digital platforms is a big factor in, in the race discourse. So, I mean, what, what are your thoughts and um, how do you think we should move forward on this very important discourse? Uh, well, a couple of thoughts actually, um, but I just uh, would like to maybe pick up on two points that the uh, Minister has mentioned and just share my thoughts uh, before I go on to mm -hmm. explaining about social media or sharing my thoughts on how social media kind of affects race relations or race discussions. Um, personally, I think it's, it's an interesting and I totally agree with the minister when he mentioned that the majority or the majority race should take extra steps to be more thoughtful to the minority race. And I think that's important. Mm -hmm. And in therein lies this very sensitive and delicate balance. How much of an extra thought or how much of a nice niceties should you give to the minority race before the minority race feels that it's a form of microaggression. Mm. Like for example, if, you know, if you're too nice, you might come off minority, or you know, uh, why are you being too nice to me? Why can't you just treat me as equal? So I guess there's no right or wrong. It's just that it's a very delicate balance when it comes to race discussions. And you do not know which is the, where's the boundary where you cross over to the race or the minority race becoming, um, in a sense, um, offended. So that's one point. So mm -hmm. that like kinds of um, precede my discussion here. That is going to be very, uh, it's going to be a fine balance. And and um, and I proceed to my next point. And and my next point is I pick up from what minister has mentioned also about who shouts the loudest. Do mm -hmm. not let it be about who shouts the loudest. And I think that is the situation that we are experiencing in basically in social media. Mm -hmm. um, who shouts the loudest? Not in terms of um, like the number of, not in terms of like um, really producing quality points or really producing quality arguments, but who shouts the loudest in the sense of which discussion chambers you are in, and in your own discussion chamber, you would feel that the voice of whatever chambers you are in is presumably the loudest mm -hmm. voice. So again, the, 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 the subjectiveness of loudness and how loud it is, it's very much uh, dependent on the networks that you are in and, 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 and what have you. 
So I think um, those are the two points that mm. I just want to share at this point on mm. what our minister has mentioned. And perhaps as you go on later, I can share more on... Um, Thank you, Almi. Yeah. Thank you. Um, if I may move on to Daniel. Daniel, you have worked on race relations for a long time as a sociologist. What is your, your response to what minister has shared? Well, I may be a sociologist, but I think what I really like about the minister's speech is the, the amount of history, the mm. depth of history that's, that's in the speech. And I, and I want to emphasize history because I think history is a really good teacher. Mm. Right? And the older generation learned a lot about racism because they came up close, personal with racism. Uh, the younger generation, we don't have the benefit of having history as a teacher. Uh, we, I can almost say that you know we are we are we are kind of a, a generation that that has no history. We live you know um, in prosperous you know boom times and, and you know we are we are privileged in many ways compared to the rest of the world. Uh, so without history as a teacher, we tend to take racism I think for granted as something that has happened in the past, something that we hear through stories, but we don't really learn about it except for minorities because they face it right. So minorities face their everyday life as, as lessons right, in racism, but the majority don't because they take it for granted that you know, we are living in multiracial harmony already. Yes, we've got to cherish it, but we don't learn about racism. We don't know what is racism. So quite interestingly, I mean, in the past two weeks, I have friends who came up to me and asked me, so what is racism? Is this racist? Is that racist? And so on and so forth. Right? We seem to lack the knowledge of racism. Um, and I think the question that was posed by educator to minister was really good. Right? Should we start introducing uh, pedagogies, right, uh, uh, of, of anti-racism pedagogies in school to teach people, to, 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 to let them know what is racism so that we can recognize it, we can identify it, then we can deal with it more effectively and to fight it more effectively. So I, I think that, that, that is the key thing, right? How, what is racism? How do we teach that to mm -hmm. our children, teach ourselves, right? I, I think I belong to that younger generation without the benefit of history as a teacher. Um, so how do we recognize it, right? especially for majority, for the majority who don't experience it in their, in their everyday life? Yeah. So, so this is an interesting point, um, Daniel, because the definition of racism, we can of course pick a textbook de definition, right? But I think sometimes we get so concerned, you know, about being politically correct that we are afraid to raise questions uh, for fear that you know we are accused of being racist because we we call out on the differences, right? How would you suggest that you know we overcome this fear? So in, in short, a layman's you know working definition of what racism is. Well, if you ask me, I mean, I'm, I've been thinking about this because of all the questions that my friends have been asking me about what is racism. Uh, reverting to an academic you know textbook kind of definition um, is easy. Um, but I actually like uh, Minister Shamugam's definition that I think he mentioned quite recently. What is racism? Racism is when you have racial preferences, racial prejudice, racial biases, um, and you impose it on someone to their detriment. I think it's a very simple definition, and mm. it's, it's very commonsensical, and it works, right? I mean, when you, when you make a racist joke, you are bringing out your own prejudice, and you're imposing it on someone to their detriment. You, you, that person gets laughed at. Right. So, so as simple as that, you know, you can apply this definition to, I think, almost every situation. So, so clearly, imposition, right, yes, is yes, the action right. uh, word there. Thank, thank you, Daniel. Uh, now I, I move to a very, very young sociologist, right? <laughs> Lavanya, I'm very, very interested in your views as a younger Singaporean. So Dan Daniel is young and you are even younger, right? Uh, without that perspective of having, you know, 
gone through what your grandparents and even your parents um, uh, experienced, you know, when Singapore was uh, a very young nation trying to pull all the different groups together. What is your perspective on, you know, what we have seen in recent weeks and months and of what Minister has shared? Yeah, thanks so much, um, Prof. Sean. And um, yeah, thanks for giving me a, a seat at the table to contribute to the discussion. So I think, um, you know, building on what Daniel said, uh, as, as an ethnic minority person, I mean, I come from um, a lot of privilege, you know, uh, middle class background, you know, university professor, of course. But having said that, you know, I think um, ethnic minorities feel racism as a part of everyday life, right? And in recent weeks, we've seen examples of this type of everyday racism. Um, that we haven't seen as much of before, which I think is what is concerning. But um, going back to definitions of, of racism that you raised, right? I think I want to add on to what Daniel has said and also point to uh, more structural institutional aspects of racism, right? And maybe ask if there are links that can be made, right, between um, larger institutions, which um, were also mentioned in the speech, and everyday forms of racism, right? Because as sociologists, we're interested in institutions. So, um, you know, I'm thinking more structurally in terms of what we can do institutionally. I think schools are a great place to start. And perhaps we need to think about introducing um, racism, you know, as a topic into education in schools. Um, but at the same time, maybe we should think more institutionally about training teachers um, in implicit bias training, um, you know, because people don't know that they might have biases, right, blind spots, and how to spot them, how to guard against them. And I think we need to think more institutionally about places like education, um, employment, as well as uh, housing, all which were mentioned by the minister. And as a sociologist, for me, I think looking at things through this institutional mm. lens is very important. Thinking how we can make changes, not just in terms of our everyday behavior, which we should, um, but also in terms at this institutional level that will also then, I think, feed into the ways in which we think um, at an individual level, right? So one of the kind of um, perhaps more um, wide-ranging suggestions uh, would be maybe to think about having an independent race commission or a body in Singapore that is, serves as a central place where we can deal with these type of institutional incidences so they don't have to go maybe directly to a principal or MOE um, but maybe go through MOE or principal to an independent body that can assess mm. um, you know, claims. So that will be uh, one of my reactions, I think, to Minister um, Wong's speech, thinking about um, how we can take this discourse, not just at the individual level, but bring it to an institutional mm. level. Well. I, I see merits in that, in that I imagine that the body that constitutes this uh, inquiry uh, or uh, membership would be people who are trained, mm. right, to distill and then to navigate through the difficulties. But let me pick up on, on one point that you mentioned earlier. We put a lot of emphasis on education mm. uh, because we believe that you know, this is that, you know, where socialization takes place. And inadvertently, we put a lot of pressure on school teachers. I wonder if that is tenable because if you think about primary school, right, um, teachers have to deal with so much. And in addition mm -hmm. to content, you know, mastery, they have to deal with, uh, you know, socialization issues, mm -hmm. making sure that the child, you know, um, is well adapted to his environment or her environment and so forth. And, and of course, secondary school doesn't get any easier. Um, and then we add on race sensitivities. 
do you think that that can be done? There's a lot of you know, uh, attention being focused on one small group of professionals. Mm -hmm. No, I, I think it's, I mean, what you point out is definitely um, true in terms of a lot of pressure on teachers. They already have to take on so mm. much, right? So I don't know, maybe it's, um, it's not necessarily the job of the teachers. Maybe we need um, you know, counsellors or a different kind of pedagogical entity to implement mm. this. But I'm thinking about the, um, the polytechnic lecturer who mm. made you know, those racist remarks and he's been outstripped of his position. But you know, thinking about could his attitudes have filtered into how he graded his students, right? And so should we have this type of implicit bias training? and audits of the ways in which um, students are graded because education is the kind of bedrock of our meritocratic society, right? And if we really want to hold meritocracy as a value, I think we need to think about how racism can infiltrate into a place like schools and destroy um, meritocratic standards. Mm. So that's why I think um, training teachers at least is really important. Yeah. We'll, we'll come back okay. to that. Um, my friend in the hot seat, right? <laughs> I'm not, I'm not going to be politically correct about this. Um, it must be very difficult being editor of Chao Pao at this point. Um, mm. Let me you know, invite you to give your, your take. I mean, Minister has, has I think, mm. in contextualized right, mm. um, the commentary from Chao Pao. Perhaps you know, share with us you know, the difficulties of being you know, the editor of a Chinese paper you know, in, this, in this season, right? Mm. Okay, uh, let me first, because when I was invited to come to this uh, panel discussion, I look at the list of, of my fellow panelists. I ask them, why do you invite me? You know, I'm not an academic. Uh, I'm Chinese speaking. And, and they say, oh, it's important to have uh, someone from the Chinese community, especially uh, someone who, who, who is Chinese speaking. So, in fact, I am a kind of a, indeed a reluctant participant <laughs> in today's uh, panel discussion. But I persuaded myself to come. Uh, but I, I would like to, first of all, explain where I'm coming from. Yeah? I'm quite wary to be seen as being a representative of the Chinese community. Because uh, people may t try to assume that Chinese community is like, a, you know, it's very homogeneous. But in fact, it is not. Mm. First of all, it is segmented by the language that people speak. If you look at people who are predominantly sp uh, Chinese speaking and predominantly English speaking, and then you have another group who are uh, bilingual. And because of their experience in life, uh, their worldview, their value system, the way they look at things, uh, way worlds apart. So I'm, I'm quite wary that whatever I say is perceived as, you know, I'm speaking for a Chinese voice. In fact, there's no Chinese voice on any issue, let alone on such a delicate issue like you know, race or racism. So I think we, we, we should not try to have this, like, oh, this is a typical Chinese response to this. Oh, this is a typical Chinese position on this. In fact, there, you may not be able to find one, a typical Chinese position. 
on a race issue. This is maybe the first thing I, I want to stress. Yeah, then I, I am the only one who doesn't have a doctor in front of my name. But you're <laughs> editor, even more important. <laughs> yes. but editor I more I important. Because I thought uh, I can share a uh, 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 practitioner's perspective. Mm -hmm. And I actually have one. Maybe I just share one thing first. I, I started off as a crime reporter. And my senior uh, told me that, you know, when you write a crime story, we will never start off with, or, or, or the headline, uh, like, you know, a Chinese was beaten up by uh, whatever race, uh, or that uh, whatever race was robbed by whatever race. We will never start off uh, a story like this. The fact could be like that. And his reason is very simple. Many of these crimes, there's no racial undertone. It is just simply an act of a person against another person. But if day in, day out, our readers were to read, you know, somebody from this race is doing something harmful, something, you know, to, to another race. Day in, day out, we are reading this headline. It gives our readers uh, an impression that, oh, you know, a particular race is doing something very hurtful to another race. And it is not good. And I think this makes a lot of sense. So this principle, in fact, is passed down generation after generation, even until today. And as a, and as a editor of the newspaper, I uphold this principle. But you look at what happened in the social media. Sometimes it is the other way around. Sometimes it's just a simple act of a person against another person, but people like to bring in the race element into it. And I think this is something of a concern. Mm. I would, I, I would just stop here. Yeah, I, I agree with you, and, and that's why you know I, I, it's, uh, Almi doesn't mind you know, if we return to the role of social media. Right? We talked about this briefly in our huddle yesterday, and that is, it is the space where it attracts really extreme views. Um, possibly because when you enter a space by choice, you, are, you feel that you're among like-minded individuals and therefore you are, you, your guard is off, that could be one. Or possibly too, because you can hide behind Monica, so you, you, know, you feel that you can say what you want without having to face you know, repercussions. Um, so, so as a media expert, how how do you how do you manage you know how how can we navigate this space because you can't say ban social media it's a very important platform right when when dealing with non-contentious issues that's the first place i go to to look for information on health medication you know that kind of stuff that doesn't invite too much you know um, you know a polar 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 you know kind of um uh, attributes but in in in, a, in an area like race relations um it's, it's a difficult platform to manage. What's your take on that? Well, you, well, you are right, Pauline. And I'll just pick up from what Syntec has mentioned. Mm. And I think it really happens in social media in the same way also, in that what we call the drip-drip effect. It's like, you know, you just report on the story and then um, 
all the race references, race examples get add on to it. And once you are in that particular exposure over day, overnight, over time, you begin, you begin to internalize that it's kind of a normal thing that's happening and it's always race reason that's always because of race unfortunately like what you mentioned also this is just one part of it right mm -hmm. this is just mm -hmm. one chamber of it right and we know that there are like what you mentioned i wouldn't say like extreme it doesn't it does go all the way to extreme but before it gets extreme it gets polarized and then and then there will be the extreme examples but eventually if you accept the inevitability uh, the inevitability that most discussions on any particular topic will have their left and right, will have their against and to. Black lives matter, all lives matter. Me too, him too. Mm. Pink dot, where white. So eventually, it will in, in a way get um, mm. alternative voices in it, because that's the nature of the media. So you would take that as a fundamental, right? And then we start to question then, um, where's the safe space? How do we create a safe space in this very polarized environment? from the ordinary individual social media user, right? These are my space, safe spaces. So basically, it's not about creating that one particular safe space where all of us come to. That's important. And expanding it is important. But it's very difficult in social media. Because people to ask me, and if I were to um, think on a certain manner with regard to a certain topic or certain issue, I will pick my safe space. And my safe space is within this echo chamber. And so basically what we have in social media are multiple pockets of safe spaces. That doesn't sound good, right? Yep, so that is in the reality, <laughs> because but it will, be it, will, it, will, it will really fragment us rather than bring us together. Exactly. So basically, in, in a sense, yes. Yeah. So there are fragmentations, but mm. eventually these fragmentations can all fall into two polarized views depending on the topic that you're talking about. Or the, depending on the yeah. topic, right? Like, for example, if you were to take... It especially works mm. for... And I think you've raised that point. Why don't you find these kind of um, scenarios happening for really objective, scientific kind mm -hmm. of topics mm -hmm. like health or like 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 medic, you know, like, like medicines and mm -hmm. all that? But it happens more often than not on morally loaded or controversial issues mm -hmm. like race, like um, um, gender equality, um, um, religion where we can actually argue in two sides. In other words, mm. well, pardon my word, till the, cows, uh, till the cows come home, right? Mm. You can argue this way on a very religion basis and you go to the left or to the right and so forth. So there's no right or wrong. And that's yeah. when, um, that's when polarization mm. happens and that's when people start to pick their safe spaces within these okay. um, chambers. Yeah. Uh, um, let, let me apologize to, to our audience. Uh, just give me one latitude of one more question before I go to yours, okay? okay. And, and that is this notion of a common space where we can dis demystify the social construct race, right? Where we could lift our you know, fears and concerns and barriers and come together so that we can curate a moderated common ground, you know, a common ground that's you know, not polarised. Where can that space be if, if you know, I, I, I don't want to misrepresent you, I mean, but it sounds like it's very difficult on, 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 on social media. Can I, can I just give a take on where's this common ground? Okay. Or at least my thoughts on sure, it sure. has to be, at least in my opinion, I mean, like, mm. uh, um, it has to be beyond just social media. Mm. It has to be in, in, in real settings also, or a hybrid mm -hmm. kind okay. of version. Because we know, right, 
in order to have a bigger common space or bigger safe space, we need to be inclusive. And the voice that's always missed out on social media are the voice of the older generations, for instance, right? So when we look at all these voices on social media, we are actually lacking the view mm. of what do this, like, you know, history. We are, we are losing history, right? Mm. We are losing the voice of the older generations. So it's really not a very comprehensive or even a safe or even a, a space to begin with in that sense. So then the question then, how do we bring the older generation voice into this space? Definitely not only on social media. It definitely has to be in a you know real life or kind mm. of a hybrid setting. Yeah. So then, uh, uh, Vanya. Yeah, sorry, could I jump in just um, mm. kind of responding to what um, was said earlier, right, about mm. choosing safe spaces. And I think before perhaps we talk about you know inclusive spa safe spaces, which are absolutely necessary, um, one thing we need to acknowledge is that for some people who have experienced racism, who are marginalized, it's really important to have those um, closed, in some ways, safe spaces in order to articulate their experiences because a lot of ethnic minorities feel like in more um, inclusive spaces or more open spaces that their experiences are questioned, mm. gaslighted, diminished. So I think there is, even though these spaces might seem polarizing, I think there is a space for them because people need their experiences validated, acknowledged. And I feel it's, it's, you know, it's therapeutic, but it's also mm. necessary to find a community who validates your own experiences. And I think, so we shouldn't dismiss these um, spaces that are exclusive or self-selected completely and say, no, we only want open spaces. But I think we need both, mm. right? Mm -hmm. So I, I just agree. needed to yeah, add that. Daniel first and then uh, well, I don't think they're doing too bad. I mean, there are, there are some interesting uh, pages like Minority Voices and Lepa Conversations, which I enjoy reading and um, mm. I follow them. And, and I think these are the kind of spaces where they, are, in, they start out mm. as safe spaces and then they open up. Mm. Right? Uh, and I think that, that, that courageous move of opening up uh, to show the majority, right? that, hey, the, these things are happening, don't forget it, right? uh, it's, it's really important. Uh, and so therefore, in some ways, they become hybrid, right? There are, mm. there are, there are, there are, there are safe spaces in which uh, minority members can, can talk about their experiences, um, share and get support. Um, but they're also public-facing in some ways, uh, so that the majority can also listen, mm. uh, understand and learn. Uh, and, and I would think that and what, what Naomi was saying about hybrid spaces, right? Mm. Uh, in which you have institutions that, uh, that would normally not be on social media. Uh, uh, maybe the IRCCs, mm. right, the, the interracial and religious confidence circles, um, the IRO, uh, where the older generation are participating in it, uh, and, and many other institutions. I would even think like museums and cultural organizations who don't usually touch on issues of racism. Um, they could come in, they could organize forums, they could mm. organize workshops, roundtables, and it could be hybrid like this. You know, where you have a group of people sitting around talking about these things, a round table, but it's also public facing, it is also on mm -hmm. social media so that young people can learn about it, mm -hmm. can join the discussion, can ask questions. And I think more of these spaces have to be, mm -hmm. you know, fostered. And, and we shouldn't depend always, right, on the government to, to, to initiate spot and to do everything, right? Yeah, we, the, it's civil society, right? Yeah. Civil society should be, should be doing this. So, so herein lies the difficulty. I think many are afraid to touch the difficult topics, mm. right? Race and religion. Um, so I think moving forward, we really need to empower those who want to and who can to host open sessions yeah. where we can discuss and demystify, right? So that you know we don't trip up 
you know, trip over ourselves because we don't know, right? I'm sorry, Sinti, please. Uh, uh, as an editor, I would mm. say uh, uh, even the traditional media mm -hmm. has a role and has a responsibility in creating this space as well. And we actually provide such a platform for people with different opinion and, and, uh, and views to exchange. So, so sometimes I, I find it quite strange, you know, that people are saying, why are you publishing this piece of opinion? Or uh, Sinti, I have to tell you, I've been trying to avoid this question, but it wouldn't <laughs> leave the top of my screen. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and it reads, why does Bao continue to publish opinions yeah. that stroke racist sentiments um, and so forth? Can stroke, you, yeah. Please, stroke. go on. I think, first of all, we have to start discussing about race issues. I think I, I, I share the view that, you know, if we don't, that there's risk of discussing it openly because then you get people excited and, and things like that. So there's risk. But there's also risk of not discussing it and then you, you try to be quiet, you know, don't talk about it. And then something major happen and then it may just explode. So both sides are, have risk. So I think we, we, we should start talking about this. And we, when we start talking about this, it is inevitable that then you have people from different, uh, different school of thoughts, different opinions to, to come out. And then we have to accept that there are people who don't actually share my, my view. And we have to start to learn how to also, not only that I, to stress that I have the right to, to say what I want to say, but I should also open my heart and, and my ears to also listen to people who have different views from me. Mm. And I thought the newspaper can provide such a platform. But we are careful that when we publish such pieces, we are always careful to look at the language. When I say language, look at the tone, you know, whether it is sincere in, in wanting to discuss or it is trying, as was to say, to stroke emotion. Mm. So herein lies the difficulty, right? Zhao Bao is a Chinese medium paper, mm. and the Chinese language is a beautiful language, right? Mm. The problem is the minority members mm. and many you know, who cannot read Chinese mm. would have to rely on a translation. Yeah. And then something gets lost. Yeah. How, how, how can Zhao Bao protect itself to prevent this from happening? Can you do your own translations? Uh, it takes a lot of resources, I would say. But actually, we are looking into this seriously. Yeah. Yeah, for important pieces, rather than leave it to somebody to translate, worse still, people not only translate, and then they will put in their interpretation and, then, and say, oh, this is what this article is trying to imply. And this becomes uh, the, the, the interpretation of, of the article. Uh, then, you, you know, sometimes the, the discussion gets lost. Yep. And, uh, agree. Yeah, agree. I totally agree. Mm. Um, thank you very much for engaging <laughs> with us on that. Um, let me move on to the next question. Um, Minister mentioned several times that racial preferences are human nature. And they want the sociologists to comment on this. 
So what are you looking at me for? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't think he said human nature. I think he said that it's, that there's something instinctual about it. Um, and the question is where this instinct come from. Mm. It's hard to put an, a percentage to it, like you know, whether it's fifty percent, you know, human nature or fifty percent uh, socialization. Uh, but I, w I would I would say as a sociologist that a lot of it is learned at home, right? Uh, through socialization. Uh, then after that, in the playground, uh, you know, in, in in schools, and that's why that's why education is, is really important. I know there's a lot of stress, a lot of pressure on on teachers and whatnot. But if this is an existential issue, we have to do it, right, in the school, um, and and we have to start young because it, it these things get fostered in a at a very young age, mm. whether it is a, a non-racist kind of uh, attitude towards uh, friendships. Or a more racial kind of, you know, putting on racial lenses. It is learned at a very young age, mm. right? Um, there have been some studies that actually show that, you know, children at a very young age do not recognize races. It is then learned, and mm. after that, it becomes instinct. Uh, so, so that's that's where I think we need to in, to, to to intervene in the schools at a very young age. Maybe in the preschool, at the preschool level. So, so you're not talking about the appreciation of differentiation, because that's not racism, right? Yeah. Huh? Just you know, curious about you know different skin tones, where people come from, different cultures. Line. It is about that when you have a value differentiation, right? And that clearly, of yes. course, is learned behavior. Mm -hmm. mm. So, so here, 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 in, you know, I'm trying to dissect the question because I think the question is fairly loaded. Um, the, I, the the fact that you know, children and human beings, right? There's certain you know we lean towards certain preferences at different seasons, right? Um, uh, for example, when K-pop, well, K-pop is still hot, but when it first came on, you know, all, all, all my friends wanted to whiten their faces so that they can look like the beautiful Korean uh, actresses, okay? Um, and, and so the seasons come, seasons go, and popular culture does you know influence a lot, and and that is not necessarily dangerous. Yeah, right. maybe I could add on. Mm. I mean, I don't think that um, acknowledging differences, yeah. um, saying someone is different, or acknowledging you know they, they, their culture is different, their religion is different, is a problem. And in fact, I think what uh, Minister Wong was saying is that we should appreciate that, right? And our diversity is built on the appreciation of difference. But I think what um, is important is to emphasize, even though we are different, we must be treated equally. There must be equality, right? And that's what we all want. So. I don't think the creation of boundaries or you know whether it's normal or learned or, or probably a bit of both as Daniel said is a problem but I think it's it's not it's making sure that those boundaries don't make sure that one person is treated better than the other based on gender or religion or race mm. right so because um, there's a lot of literature on boundary making mm. in sociology um, and you know we we see that there are ways in which those boundaries become problems when there is no equi equitable distribution of resources and when it's not a problem, when there is more equality between groups, right? So I think what we should be pushing for is not a dissolution of boundaries or a non-acknowledgement of difference, but really of ensuring equality, right? Which is, um, I think, something we can all agree on. Yes, right? yeah. definitely. Um, Elmi, you want to weigh in on this? 
on the question of um, whether um, racism <laughs> is actually socialized. <laughs> <laughs> the answer well, is yes, yeah. lah. Huh? Uh, the answer is yes. It is, is socialized. Yeah. So, so therefore, maybe maybe yeah. sociology should be a compulsory yeah. subject. No, but I, 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 yeah, but I would like to approach it from the view of the media and how you are socialized now. Yes, primarily in the family, but how the media is actually embedded in the family itself at a very young age to mm -hmm. the point where even the parents and the kids are actually exposed to social media and, and how they get information and how they consume popular culture uh, through social media and how they, they view uh, other people, other races are through short nuggets of information and visual portrayals such mm. as in no, TikTok you're, you're, you're and everything You're spot on, that's right. Yeah. It's that mm. filtering that has to happen. And parents have responsibilities, let's face it. Yeah, exactly. you can, we can't pass yeah. you know, the buck to teachers and, and, and people outside the school. So children pick up you know, quite a bit uh, just through observation. And of course, now with the pervasive, you know, with the iPad, you know, yep. it almost being, you know, a toy for every other child and the access to, you know, short clips and so forth. Um, I, feel, I do think that parents do need to screen. Huh? Let me just give you an example. Mm. I, I would say that even socialization now, especially in the recent COVID-19 situation where kids are now not in school and they're doing their home-based learning, that in fact, socialization among kids still happen but it happened through the medium. Mm -hmm. Like for example, like when you, when I, have, I have kids of my own, so mm. I have this, I'll just briefly share my, 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 my situation that I had with my wife. So she was like- Is your okay, wife listening? I hope not. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so she was like, okay, it's about time that our kids are, they want to play Roblox or mm. this game called Roblox. And I said, okay, it's not time yet, they're in primary school. No, it's so important because they have not met their friends for a long time and that is where they chat yes. with their mm. friends. So. A game or a medium is no longer just a one-way kind mm -hmm. of consumption of information. It becomes a very strong socialization tool. And they play or they communicate on these platforms. Mm. And that's where a lot of, um, I mean, if you may, like, you know, racial undertones or values yeah. gets transmitted. So, yeah. yeah, so personally coming from a media mm. perspective, mm. Yeah, it's actually embedded in the media itself. Yep. I'm showing so my I age. Yes. I don't know what roadblock is. I'm just nodding, you know, <laughs> since everybody seems to know what it is. <laughs> but I get you. Yeah, I get right. you. Okay. Yes, thanks, um, There's a question here, um, directed to the two sociologists, um, on on your thoughts on You're Chinese privilege. <laughs> um, but maybe let me broaden that a bit. Huh? Uh, let me just ask all of us here. You know, we borrow a lot of labors from elsewhere in the world. Right? Black Lives Matter, um, Me Too, you know, white privilege. What's the danger? Importing this, you know, and then just changing the labor to suit our needs. Because, you know, something like Black Lives Matter, for example, has deep historical, mm -hmm. you know, meanings in the United States. I find it, you know, from a distance, uh, very strange that we should, you know, bring it stock, lock, stock, barrel, and, and then plant it and start ex expect that it should be able to, you know, we should be able to ride on it, right? Mm -hmm. So maybe your thoughts on, on bringing these labors in and the caution, if any, you know, we should apply? Um, okay, <laughs> I can go first. Um, I think, yeah, there's obviously historical context to, to labels and terms. But you know, this is not something new, right? We've always been borrowing language um, from other contexts because you know we're speaking English, which is not a kind of native language to this part of the world. So, for instance, meritocracy, 
is, is a concept, an idea, a value um, that is not local. It's something that's imported. Originally, um, the term came up in the UK, but yet we've adopted this, right? And we've contextualized it saying, you know, we will implement meritocracy according to these um, particular local standards, right? Ensuring um, equality in schools in this way by providing mother tongues, for example. So similarly, I think when we think about um, the notion of privilege, right, um, we need to, to acknowledge that it comes from a different context uh, in the US, but how can we localize it and is it relevant for the local context? Um, and I think you know, Daniel's written about this and I'm also, um, something is in, in, in review <laughs> along these lines as well. So, but I think it, um, it has resonated amongst young people here because people are struggling for a language to talk about social reality. And um, you know, so, so these, these ideas or these concepts are useful to express particular um, feelings, particular social realities, but I think we should acknowledge that they imply a very different reality in Singapore, but they might be useful um, still to articulate and acknowledge hierarchies, differences, inequalities. Mm. Daniel? Yeah. Well, history matters again. Mm -hmm. So I, the, 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 we, we have been borrowing, I mean, using a lot of these uh, borrowed terms because mm. we, are, we are a very uh, connected, globalized city uh, with a very cosmopolitan population. You know, we, we consume a lot of media from all over the world. Uh, you know, if you are talking about how it has really formed us materially, the, the phrase Garden City, for example, came from a British urban planner, mm. um, and he has become core to our, you know, very identity as a, as a city, right? Uh, so, so, imported terms are important. They are, in fact, central, I think, to our uh, formation of our own identity as, as Singaporeans. Uh, we borrow a lot, we adapt a lot, but I think the key thing is that we adapt. Mm. Uh, and my objection to uh, the term Chinese privilege when it appears in the academic setting is that we are not adapting it enough. We are borrowing mm. it, mm. and without contextualizing it and without putting it in proper kind of institutional kind of perspective. And I, and I, and I, I want to emphasize that it is institutional because privilege exists in institutions. They mm. don't exist uh, independently of institutions. Mm. All right. And so when we talk about Chinese privilege and we want to criticize any form of privilege, whether it's class privilege, um, you know, sexual identity privilege, whatever privilege, we have to talk about the institutions that we are trying to provide a critique of. And that is very important. We need to contextualize. To use it as a blanket term will be to, to revert to the same kind of racism and racialization that we do not want to happen. Which is to say that, okay, 75% of the population, you have privilege, you don't realize it, you're complicit in racism. Mm. Right? It puts everyone into a defensive posture, it cuts conversations off. Right? So it's better to, to start off with experiences, whether it's in institutions or whether it is in everyday life. This is my experience of racism, of, of an incident of racism. Don't start pointing fingers at each other's skin color and say that this privilege, that privilege, or that, you know, that, that you, and so on and so forth. I mean, it's, it's, it, let's open up the space for conversations and for discussion. The, the, the question of privilege is important, right? and it has to be discussed. And I think a mm -hmm. lot of uh, Chinese individuals, Chinese Singaporean individuals, and Chinese uh, uh, Singaporean institutions are already starting such conversations whether internally or starting you know, uh, externally in their own capacity in, in blocks and so on and so forth. And that's where the adaptation will happen. Mm. Right? Mm. So I think we also need to be humble to have a certain humility as scholars. 
uh, as sociologists that we, although we are often tagged with the term experts, we do not pronounce truths. We are participants in the truth making, mm. right? And we, we, we have a social responsibility to be careful with the terms we use and not to valorize it and make it into such a truth term that if you, if you cite me, for example, and therefore, you know, I'm the authority on it, and therefore it is true. Mm. Yeah, it, it cannot be like that. So we have to be humble also as scholars. Mm. And, and I think that's a very important point. Of course, the media plays a very important role because the media, many people don't read, you know, the, 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 the journal articles we publish, but they certainly read <laughs> the papers, right? So, um, and, and, and I think that, um, you know, Syntec uh, also, uh, as Minister had pointed out, um, the notion of being Chinese is a very diverse group of us, right? Would you yeah. like to weigh in on it? Yes. So, I, I, I'm glad that uh, even among the, the, the sociologists, uh, you, you, you actually see a concern of, you know, borrowing uh, foreign terms and then try to apply it uh, wholesale uh, in, in, in Singapore. And, and in fact, this is also uh, our position that because in, in, in your academic context, you know what, what do you mean when you say uh, Chinese privilege? And of course, this Chinese privilege is borrowed from, I mean, because of the white privilege, then you apply in Singapore, and then since uh, Chinese is the majority here in Singapore, so you have the Chinese privilege. In the academic context, you know what you actually mean. But to the, especially to the Chinese-speaking Chinese, Predominantly Chinese-speaking Chinese. All this while, because of their language inadequacy in, in English, they face frustration, they face marginalization and things like that. They don't come and complain, let's say, they are being discriminated. And now, they, then suddenly they come across this term, Chinese privilege. Then they say, what privilege do I have? And then, in, 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 instead of you know, forging understanding, in fact, we are dividing people. So I don't think it is helpful mm. in, in this sense, in this sense. Huh? Yeah, I, I, uh, I get you. And, yeah. yeah. So, and, and, and I feel for this, this group of people. I actually feel, and, and worse still, when they come and say, I do not have Chinese privilege, then people who are not Nominally uh, Chinese speaking, they then interpret it in a academic context and say, "Oh, you are denying that actually there is racism and there's uh, racial discrimination uh, exists in Singapore." This is not what they mean when they say there's no Chinese privilege. This is not what they mean. They are just saying that as a Chinese speaking individual, I don't see I enjoy any privilege at all. But then people then misunderstand and say, oh, you're trying to deny that uh, yeah. uh, there's advantage for, uh, uh, for, for the Chinese as a whole. Mm. Well, I think then, then misunderstanding is it become even, even deeper. Yes. And, and this is the concern. Yeah. Yes, uh, mm. certainly. I think Syntec uh, has reminded us that for the Chinese-speaking uh, subgroup, uh, they've gone through a difficult time yes. with the progress of Singapore. Um, very few uh, 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 old, uh, younger Singaporeans, you know, um, they tend to be able to are more comfortable speaking English, exactly. right? Um, and of course, this group is also uh, older. Older. Yeah. Uh, 
they used to be the silent majority. Yeah. Mm. They are still silent, but they are no longer majority. Mm. Mm. And yes. <laughs> so, so, so precisely, right? We need conversations like these, so that we can distill the misunderstandings and clarify, you know, the the, the very complex thoughts, you know, that go into simple statements. Because race relations is very hard to articulate. Um, particularly if you're trying to talk about lived experiences, right? So how, how, how can we continue to encourage this? Um, so, so, so hold that in mind, because I'm going to ask you that as the last question, okay? Like, you know, what can we do to advance our multiculturalism moving forward? But let me, let me go back to the audience before they lock us off. <laughs> say these, these, four, these five are talking among themselves. We're going to just go home now. <laughs> okay. um, I have a question here um, because Minister had talked about, you know, uh, he, he had talked about three things, right? Role of majority, um, very broadly, the, the importance of mutual accommodation, trust and uh, compromise. And then he also looked at, uh, touched on the role of government and policies. So here is a question on the policy. Um, are we ready for a race discrimination act which should deal with discrimination at... Why like that? Uh, the thing jumped already. <laughs> yeah, I tell you, okay, you guys are playing tricks on me. <laughs> okay, question disappeared, sorry. <laughs> okay, so let me go on to another question here. <coughs> As a sociologist, we acknowledge that there is persistence of racial hierarchy in Singapore. No. The question is, as a sociologist, can we, the question is to the sociologist, can we acknowledge that there is a persistence of racial hierarchy in Singapore? And the question remains, what can we do as Singaporeans to overcome this to the benefit of all of us? So there's a ranking <laughs> of, race, of skin colours. <laughs> um. Is there? Um, I don't know. I mean, the question, I think the question is, is there? Right? First of all, is there? And if there is, um, then, you know, what should we do about it? But is there? I, I think it's coded in our, in our, in our, in our public affairs and, 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 and institutional affairs that we, we cannot have that racial hierarchy. Mm. Um, but nevertheless, right, and this is the IPS racial and the One People mm. ISG, um, um, uh, surveys on racial harmony, we have a large number of ethnic minorities who say they face discrimination in employment, right, mm, in hiring. Yes. 73% I think for Malays um, and 68% for Indians. This, this, is, this is huge. This is, this, this is a large number, right, compared to 38% for the Chinese. Mm. Um, so, so there is institutional issues here, right. It's institutional in the sense that there are widespread practices, right, in which prejudices, preferences get imposed on individuals to their detriment and widespread enough to make it an institutional issue because mm. you have a lot of people experiencing the thing. So that even if you have employers who, do, who are not thinking race, racially or, or racist uh, personally, they might do racist actions by denying ethnic minorities' position because they feel that their customers or clients would mm. want some kind of ethnic preference, mm. right? So that's, that's institutional racism that we're talking about. Mm. Mm. So we have to deal with that and we have to study the issue we have to deal with that. Whether it should be legislated, I mean, that, that's another question altogether, whether, whether it's effective, mm. right? But, but we have to talk about this and we have to deal with it. Mm. Yeah, that's, that's a very difficult situation, isn't it? If you're a business owner, 
and you're dealing with a clientele, you know, and it is about profit margins, what can you do though? That's why it's institutional racism. Yeah. So it's, it's, it's a question of how then should the government or they intervene mm. in such a way as to, as to effectively um, you know, remove that discrimination, which is important. Right? Mm. Yeah. I think the same thing happens in um, housing as well. And I think the minister also talked about this. There's also discrimination in housing. And I think the hierarchies can shift um, according to different spheres as well. So it's not always Chinese Singaporeans who are going to be on top or Chinese who are going to be on top. So in the hiring market, for instance, we've seen evidence of um, Chinese migrants being discriminated mm. Mm. Um, as well as um, some Muslim people being discriminated as well as, of course, um, Indian people being discriminated. So it, I think it depends on, um, on where, uh, which sphere. So there, there might be different hierarchies. Um, and of course, there's a lot mm. of um, there are people calling out uh, kind of in-network um, in hiring by migrants, for example, that might privilege um, migrants and not Singaporeans. So the hierarchies might shift according to different realms. And I think we need to acknowledge that as well. Mm. So, so there are, there's a question here again on housing, though Minister had already touched on it. Um, but uh, do panel members have additional thought on, on um, the, the racial quotas in housing? Particularly, I think the concern is on the resale market, right? So, Chong uh, Hong has, has, a, has a nice piece in the papers mm. today, and she mm. talked about how HDB flats should not be used to monetize, right? Should not be allowed to be used to monetize. Do you think that would resolve the issue? I think you need a new panel to discuss that. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I mean no. this is a really difficult question, right? Mm. Because we want to, uh, you know, ensure that we don't um, create ethnic enclaves, that we we do maintain a kind of diverse living environment because mm. there's so many positives in that. But at the same time, yeah, there's some inbuilt kind of institutional um, negatives, right, for ethnic minorities. Mm. So how can we? How can we balance it out? And this is a, yeah, difficult question, I think. But um, and, and the monetization debate has been going on for a long time, right? Mm -hmm. uh, not just in terms of, uh, you know, minority issues, but you know, generally in terms of this is a public welfare good. Should mm -hmm. we be using this for profit? So I think it goes beyond, um, yeah, issues of race, perhaps. Yeah, but you are right in that the quotas. Um, there are strong benefits to them because I, I grew up in HDB and the old HDB flat blocks, right? And on every, well, maybe not every floor, but certainly in the block, right? On my floor, on my parents' floor, uh, there was a Malay family, there was an Indian family. And just because they were there and because, you know, they're they, they, they still there now, right? So they've lived there like for 20, 30, 40 years. We just become friends and, yeah. and the race identity just drops off, right? And they just become, you know, a neighbor. They call, they know by friend, you know, by name. They share festivals, you know, they share food and all that. Um, but maybe it's, it's, it's very ideal because these are the older estates where the, the, the owners don't look to monetize, right? Mm -hmm. They just want to stay put. Um, very different from the newer estates where stay five years and then quickly sell off to make a huge profit. Um, so you're right in that maybe another panel should do this. <laughs> but it's but, certainly but, an important topic. But, but because you shared your experience, right, mm. Pauline? And I, I would just share my experience also. So I just purchased a HDB flat. And the, 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 the main consideration for me purchasing that particular flat in the, you know, 
is that my first neighbor was an Indian. <laughs> my next door neighbor was a Ch uh, was a Chinese, mm. and I feel that there just you should be a Malay, you know, buying so it just competes, <laughs> and that's how I've grown up with, and you know, yes. it's because how we have always seen each other, and I guess, well, personally, I'm just sharing a personal mm. experience, so it kind of works in that way. It builds the Singaporean identity, I think. Yes, I I think so. Yeah. I think so. I think some, we need some tweaking of this as well because recent research by um, Leong Chan Hoon, uh, he's at SUSS, mm -hmm. has shown there's more ethnic clustering happening mm -hmm. um, across different estates in Singapore and especially in the, I think, um, the more sought after estates uh, in the central areas, there are less ethnic minorities. Mm -hmm. So again, maybe this needs to be looked at at a macro level. Mm -hmm. yeah. There's a question here. Um, uh, following up on what Daniel had raised, um, Daniel has raised an important point about the majority youth having not experienced racism as compared to the minority youth. Do you remember raising that? Yeah. 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 Okay. So this is known as majority privilege and is important mm -hmm. to be aware of or acknowledge this situation so that changes can be made to address this matter. This is, this is what I like to say when it comes to like not experiencing racism. That is a right. It's mm. a constitutional right. It's mm. not a privilege. Mm. Yeah. Mm. So reverse it. We should make sure that the minorities, their rights are also respected. Also do not experience yes, exactly. racism. That's yeah. right. Mm. That's right. And the majority on. has a responsibility to make sure that right is respected. Yes. So, so here comes you know, the difficult thing, right? It comes back to having that conversation. Because especially when we're dealing with youths and young children, um, they may not even know that it is an expression that is racist or an act that is racist, right? How, how do we start them off young? I know you're going to talk about teachers again, but besides teachers, can, you know, can we exercise some social imagination here? What else can we do? to start our young Singaporeans off on the right foot? Well, maybe I'll suggest, not so much teachers, but I think the teachers should be resourced to be able to teach these things. Mm. And MOE has kindergartens now. Mm. So MOE you know, has the resources, I think, in order to prepare how teacher kids, you know, anti-racism kids that could teach young children how to identify and how to learn how not to be racist. Mm. I, I think mm. that's, that's an important thing. Yeah. And you know, look, look at our... I'm sure we're kind of familiar with home-based learning, um, um, you know, tools and, and so on and so forth. It's, it's actually quite good, the production. Mm. Uh, and, you know, uh, I mean, my, my son is learning a lot about the environment, about, you know, littering and so on and so forth. But this, I want him to learn about issues of racism and multiracial yeah. harmony and diversity. So. Yeah, interactive platforms. Mm -hmm. as this is where social media, you know, can, can be used in a positive manner where uh, carefully curated content yes. to explain you know um, you know the difference between asking a question of curiosity and asking a question of hurt right good thank you um, then there's a question on the singapore identity the question is is the singapore identity and culture subjective if yes may i ask how these two should be defined amidst amid rising short-term, long-term immigration? Should the Singapore characteristics be tangible or abstract? Would the subjective interpretation be helpful or harmful for Singapore? 
14 people voted on this. I hope they all understood the question because I got lost reading it out. <laughs> Let me try again. Okay. So, so I think essentially, you know, since we're talking about you know, race and ethnic relations and so forth, so ultimately, you know, it, it points down to what is the Singapore identity, right? Um, minister talked about, you know, like growing, tr like trees, growing deep roots, but at the same time, cross-fertilizing at the top. Um, so in the midst of all these concerns about race and race relations um, and, and the narrative, right, how do we control this narrative so that it will drive us, you know, meaningfully towards the curation of a unique Singapore identity? So the narrative on race, very frankly, is very, is very random, right? Because it depends on what the headlines are and then suddenly everybody's talking about that. And then you, another, you know, uh, dramatic situation arises, and then this will be for, forgotten already. Okay, um, but that, I think, given that you know the Singapore identity hinges so much on our multiculturalism, surely we cannot allow, you know, the narrative on race to be so randomly dictated. So how should we frame this narrative? How should we drive it so that we can concurrently do that? grow deeper appreciation of our respective you know, ethnic identities, but at the same time, make that connection, not just to be cautious about how we interact with each other you know, um, and, and you know, avoid you know, sticky situations, but actually progressively you know, start to link things together so that we can form that core Singapore identity. So could I start off, um, mm. Pauline? I think I, I don't think we can control the conversation, actually. Mm. And I, I, you know, our social media expert may, um, uh, I mean, might maybe back me up on this, but I don't think we can control um, social media discourse. I don't think we can control what people say or people think, mm. right? And I don't think that's really what we should be trying to do. I think what we should be trying to do is ensure people treat each other well, equally, with respect. And I think we need strong. Um, indications, institutions, um, policies, and laws, right? That's what we can do. We cannot police thought, but we can police actions, how people treat each other. So I would say that we need to build stronger institutions, um, whether it's schools, whether it is um, laws that prosecute people who um, discriminate unfairly in workplaces, for example, um, hiring decisions. So for me, I think that's the way to build a stronger national identity that invests in multiculturalism and multiracialism um, through institutions and through strong policies and laws right, that support this multicultural um, framework. Mm -hmm. yeah. How come the rest so quiet? Well, I, I think the, 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 the analogy of the trees is, is from Koh Fakun. Mm -hmm. right? and, yeah. and if you want to use the same analogy back, I mean, we are a forest ecosystem, right? Mm. To put it that way, um, and and the kind of multiracialism interlinkages in the foliage is is providing us the canopy, right? The forest mm. canopy. Um, of course, you know there will be incidents, there will be racist incidents and, and whatnot, and and we will bounce back from that, and mm. we do bounce back from that because I think we have already established this ecosystem, um, and it's 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 working, right? It's working, so so that that you have the kind of resilient responses from different communities. Um, but at the same time, you know, now, you know, I, I, and 
for, for me, I see the, the, the level of discourse in social media, right, which some may, may say is, is, is you know, it's too polarizing. Perhaps they are uncomfortable with the, with the level of you know, discussions and debates and so on and so forth. But we, we tend to revert to the mean. And I think the, the, the mean for us is, is quite established. Uh, you know, and, and this forum and, and, the, and the excellent speech by, by Minister really shows, I mean, the mean is there. Mm. Right? We, we do revert to the mean and, and then the conversations continue and then the next incident will happen and then a new set of conversations will happen. I, mean, I'm, I'm just, I was just looking through the newspapers mm. the other day. Two years ago, after the brown face Nets ad, mm. right, there was... There was Has also, it been two years? Yeah, it's been two oh years. Oh my gosh. That was in, I think, August, uh, July uh, mm. 2019, before the pandemic. Um, and there was, after that, a OnePeople.sg uh, you know, uh, mm. forum in which there was very frank discussion about the same issues that we are having here. Mm. Right? So we are having this over and over again. I think this is going to be a repeat. Yeah. Um, and these incidents will grow, we will learn from it. And I think that is, if there's anything, that's the Singaporean identity, the Singapore spirit, right? mm. which, is, which is that we always, keep le we, we always learn. We're mm. open. We're open to the world yeah. and we keep learning from it. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, if I would just pick up from um, what Daniel has mentioned. I think it's important. I think it's the lack, do not, the, the, the importance of not being complacent mm. and to continuously learn. Yep. And that's what I think is should be happening in at least social media. I think the problem with social media and like what Lavinia has mentioned, that we have different safe spaces, and it's important that we get these voices so that you know people can participate safely and mm. you know, um, but the problem comes when they, are, they get too comfortable, right? And they feel that, okay, there's this community space that really represents my views. And they start to be too comfortable to the extent where they do, they kind of forget that there's mm. this actual majority opinion. And this is just a majority opinion expressed in a particular, and there's also their own opinion. And it all gets so blurred because when they mm. get so comfortable. And that's when we need all this kind of national conversation. But without them realizing and you know, um, without them being too comfortable, right? That they need to detach and know that there are a lot of other chambers, and I think uh, a lot of other views. I think that is the um, the dangers of social media in that mm. sense. When humans get too comfortable, so before we pull them into the safe space, to a common space, we need to uh, like um, you know, th there are these instances that you know makes uh, that 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 kind of probe or even mm. you know trigger them to think otherwise and not be too comfortable in their own um, spaces online yeah so one question because we keep using the term safe space you know so, um, one question is who is who is a safe space for is it for those who are comfortable or those who are not comfortable Hello, the seconds are ticking away. <laughs> <laughs> what is wrong with my esteemed colleagues? <laughs> well, it should be for both, right? It really depends yeah, for everyone. Yeah. Right? Yeah, it's for everyone, it's right? Kind of who, who is uncomfortable and who's comfortable, right? right. So, yeah. so it's a space where we can come, we can, we're, we're not afraid to talk about yeah. difficult yeah, topics yeah. like race or religion, right? It's a space where you can say, oh, I don't know, you know, but if I say I prefer this to this, does that mean I'm a racist, but I'm not, you know? So, and then share that, you know, and, and opinion. And that space itself, even though I'm comfortable to speak in that particular viewpoint in that mm. space, can become unsafe if it becomes very exclusionary, right. you know, and mm. it becomes extreme, <laughs> where, you know, it pulls people into one direction mm. and then misinformation starts to become the truth in these spaces mm -hmm. because people attach their biases, mm -hmm. people attach their meanings and you know, collectively create their own truth. Then that particular safe, uh, that particular safe space can become unsafe mm -hmm. itself. Yeah. 
Yeah, but I, I, I come back to Daniel's point, and that is, um, and also uh, Lavania's, that uh, the silent majority, so to speak, right, uh, for lack of a better term, um, their voice is heard in the IPS surveys, for example. Yes. Right? Yeah. When I, when yeah. I, I, you know, I suddenly had to become a race relations, uh, at least, you know, go back to, to race relations 101 and make sure I know my material before coming here. And the results are very consistent. The representative samples of Singaporeans, you know, telling us that, you know, this is a good place, right? Um, that it embraces and, and, and you know, um, what we stand for in terms of, you know, um, a multicultural society. And generally, uh, the news is good on that. But of course, you know, we do acknowledge um, that there's no place on earth that is free from racism, sadly. So in the last few minutes, I would invite each of you to articulate your wish list. Moving forward, if you are going to drive Singapore to that nice, you know, middle ground where we, we, we acknowledge that there are differences among different races. We acknowledge that sometimes we are curious about those differences. We acknowledge that there, were th there are those among us who would add value, right, um, you know, to those uh, uh, value, you know, uh, notation to those differences. What can we do to ensure that we don't lose our safe, state, stable, you know, middle ground? Tell me. Um, well, quickly, I think um, it must be inclusive, I guess. That's the key. So, mm. I guess um, we mustn't forget that when we talk about, you know, discourse or getting opinions or social media opinions or opinions from real people, from real life, because nothing, not everything on social media is real. Mm. <laughs> yeah, so I guess we must be inclusive in the sense that we mustn't forget that, that a lot of people do not participate in social media discussions, mm, okay. right? And we think that there's a lot of voices of, you know, that's amplified, but actually a lot of people do not comment. Mm. So we must first understand that, and I think you brought reference to IPS surveys that mm. actually survey kind of actual public opinion on certain matters. And we must have a sense on how we're going to bring this group of people into the conversation. So that they are, we, we are recognizant of, of, of what they represent as well. Right? Exactly. Okay. And, and on that part of inclusiveness, we also must check our language. Mm. Language okay. in the sense that like um, whether the language is too sophisticated. And I really could understand where syntax was coming from mm. in the mm. sense that there was really kind of a misunderstanding mm. or misconstrueness mm. of when, you talk, when, when loaded terms are used in, in race discourses, right? Okay. Um, Okay, I'm not going to comment on what. Okay, are you have terms. like one minute. Yes. Okay. So basically, <laughs> we must close the knowledge gap and not not use too much of a loaded term. Okay. Yeah, that's the thing. Daniel, one minute. <laughs> I, well, there's a lot of call for more conversations, more safe spaces, and everything. Mm. I think, but I think the key thing that I think a lot of us have to learn is is, is to listen. Yeah. So um, I think on my own part, I mean, it's it's you know it's, it's something that I have to do in terms of you know going onto social media. Mm. And just listening, right? Listening to all the different voices, um, um, telling stories of, of their own experiences, mm. whether it's from the majority or from, from minority. But especially for me, because I'm from the ethnic major majority, mm. I would want to listen to um, the stories from the ethnic minorities to understand their world, their experiences. I, I think listening is, is, is very important. Mm. I think that, that's, mm. the, that's a very good takeaway. Yeah. Lavanya? Um, so I think just to reiterate what I said before about institutions, right? My wish and hope is that we have strong institutional um, support for ensuring equality and upholding multiracialism. 
and a willingness to be uncomfortable, right? Because this might might um, result in discomfort for a lot of us in confronting opinions and people who we might not necessarily um, confront or have dealings with. But this is part of growth, mm. right? Part of um, what we want to achieve. So I think uh, my wish is for yeah more institutional support and um, to be more comfortable with discomfort. Mm. Mm. Let me try to put it in another way. If, if a family has some tension and then they decided to go for family counselling, the counsellor will then tell them the first and foremost, the, the most important thing is to have open communication. But you have to express your honest feeling mm. uh, to one another. Then I'm sure the, the, the family counsellor will then remind them, you know, but when you share your feeling, try not to use sweeping statement. Try not to use like you always like that. You never do this uh, and things like that. You know. I think when we start off with our national conversation on race issue, let's remember what the family counselor talked about: open communication. I just smile when I hear that. It's like old-fashioned wisdom because <laughs> right? um, sometimes we are so quick to jump and so quick you know because we want to squeeze in our 10 seconds worth of opinion we use strong words and we use you know very fleeting uh, analogies and and truths you know that are not quite substantiated so um, i thank uh, rsis and ips for allowing us to come together today Thank you, our audience, for being so patient with us. Um, the fault is all mine if I didn't read out your questions. But I must say this tablet, not so easy. Eh? Okay? And um, we, we, I learned a lot personally. And I learned that from this session, if we pause, take the time to listen and to understand each other's perspective, there is always something that we can learn from each other. Um, so Singapore is, is a very precious place for all of us. Um, it is our home and it embodies you know, what um, multiculturalism stands for. I don't think there is another place in the world where I'm more comfortable than why, when I am in Singapore. Um, so please, let's all play our part to continue to keep our country a safe place and to remember that all of us are stakeholders and this is you know something that you want to claim and that we want to claim together thank you very much and thank you my friends thank you, thank you. Thank you prof Ron and our panelists for the discussion ladies and gentlemen we have now come to the end of the forum on behalf of ips and rsis i would like to extend my sincere thanks to all the speakers and moderators today for their time Thank you also to the audience for your active participation in the discussions. I hope that these are conversations that we will continue having after today. Ladies and gentlemen, before you leave, please take a few minutes to complete our feedback form, which will appear on the screen shortly. Your feedback will go a long way in helping us improve our programs. Please be reminded that this forum has been recorded and will be available on the IPS webpage and YouTube. Thank you very much again for joining us today and have a good evening.